fine. So, guys, hello, <laughs> nice to see you. Although I cannot see, unfortunately, face to face, but um, we really missed this. So, welcome to the Quality Talks relaunch. Um, and we have a new uh, online format now. I'm very happy to be back. Um, it has been a long time, no see, unfortunately, but we have new projects. We have now new formats. We have the new website finally, which is still in progress, but uh, hopefully we'll get there. And we have a lot of surprises for you. So um, please keep following us and uh, share with us, keep sharing with us your ideas, um, your wishes. Uh, we are here for you. The website is qualitytalks.pt, so it's pretty easy. Uh, we are still adding some of great speakers that we have had in the past, uh, but you still um, can share with us your, your ideas and your thoughts. Uh, your suggestions are more than welcome, so please uh, feel free to get in touch. Uh, we also uh, have a LinkedIn page. Uh, we have a meetup page, so do, do not forget just to subscribe to, to guarantee that you will not um, lose any of our events. And we are more than 300, uh, 300 quality talkers already in a meetup, so a huge, huge thank you for that. It's really, really cool. Uh, you can also subscribe now to the YouTube channel. I hope that this will be um, our official YouTube channel and that uh, we'll have more and more things here. And now we are launching a new format, which is Quality Talks Interviews. Uh, we have our special guest, uh, João Provenza from OutSystem. And it's not um, a coincidence. João has been a huge, huge inspiration for me in terms of the uh, quality. Um, he has been like uh, my mentor, although he doesn't know that. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, he is very inspiring. He is a great speaker. He has um, a, a lot of different uh, talks in both national and international conferences. And I thought that maybe if you have a question to ask to a great quality engineer, uh, Joan should be <laughs> the, the, the person. So um, I will stop sharing and maybe, João, you can start by um, introducing a little bit of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So um, hello, I'm, my name is João Proença. I am a quality owner at OutSystems here in Portugal, even though our company is pretty much uh, in <laughs> international. And after all of these uh, COVID happenings, uh, we have embraced remote and we are now working with people from all around the world. Um, a lot of times people people ask me what exactly is a quality owner well it's close to what currently people as um uh, what people refer to as a quality engineer where pretty much we see quality as a whole team responsibility and quality owners inside of out systems are uh, enablers for uh, the rest of the team but i'm sure i, I will be able to go into that um into that during this interview um i am um so I'm, I'm Portuguese, I'm from Lisbon. Uh, I've had several roles throughout my career, uh, not just quality, I've worked in development and in marketing. I've, been in, I've also been uh, in an ops role at some point. So, and all of those things made me really grow uh, as a tester and as a, a quality engineer. 
Great. And uh, now I have the first logical question. Why yeah. you decided to, to pursue a quality career? Well, um, to be honest, and, and this is a lot of times, this is like uh, uh, people just say that they parachuted into this sort of position it for me it was a bit a bit similar i mean i started my career actually as uh, in research when i finished up college after a computer science degree um but then i found out that research wasn't in fact for me i mean i, I like the research part i didn't like the fact that i was building stuff that then no one would be able to use it was just for research sake and uh, right at the beginning when i when i started i i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do and I was invited by a friend to apply to to, to out systems at the time um, for a quality assurance position um, and I because that was the sort of thing that they were looking for at the moment that was the opportunity that they had I thought mm, this quality assurance thing may be interesting so so I applied and I I got the job um, then there was a lot of um, I mean I spent like five years um, working in out systems R and D um, and I was I was a tester I was both a manual tester but also a, a test automation engineer but five years is a long time so I had the time to do a lot of different stuff like I went a bit into development I I I I also like a lot of maintenance work and and, and whatnot but then I then came the um, the part where I, I wanted to try different things and I thought that testing was probably not something I would want to pursue in the future. So if, you, if you'd ask back to João Provence in 2013, 2012, I was already saying, no, I'm finishing my career in quality and testing because this, this is not for me. Uh, and then I tried a whole bunch of different things and a lot of things happen in the world of, 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 of tech. A lot of things happen at Out Systems as well. And when a few years later I was, after going through several different roles, I was back at engineering at OutSystems, back working in development. I was invited to uh, embrace this new challenge um, that, that was something that was coming up uh, throughout the world, this challenge of, of being a quality owner that was pretty rooted in, in what we now call the modern testing principles, which was like something that has been popularized by Alan Page and Brett Jensen. Yeah. I hope I'm seeing, saying their, their names correctly. Something that was born out of Microsoft um, that they see, they approach quality and testing in, in, uh, in, in, in different ways from the classical perspective where testing and quality is a whole team uh, responsibility. There's a whole team approach and um, we have these these engineering roles regarding quality that that approach uh, that that uh, that are there to to enable teams to be able to conduct those those sorts of activities. Now, there's a lot to that, but this difference really appealed to me. It made sense to me, and that was what brought me in. Uh, uh, back in into the, the the quality area and the testing space and then at the same time it was a, a I started being very curious about the the international testing community I started hearing about people like Angie Jones like Lisa Crispin and all of those those folks that that we really admire and I started going to into these conferences and I I, I made my first my first few friends in in the in the conference circuit and and I I, I began to be a part of, of the the community 
by also being a speaker. Uh, being a part of this community has also like really, really made me uh, sure that this is the space where I want to be and, and where I, I, I feel happy. So, you know, I started answering your question. At the beginning, I started as a quality assurance engineer. Wasn't really sure that was the thing I wanted to do with the rest of my career. Yeah. And then later on, with all of these changes and everything that's happening right now, where I do believe that quality is, is a, a focal point and a very key part of software engineering, I think that we're, we're living uh, very exciting times. Cool. So I, I came from, from another uh, field and I ended up as a quality um, engineer as well. And I would like to, to would like you to give a piece of advice to, I don't know, Alina from 2015. Um, I want to begin my um, career in the quality assurance. Mm -hmm. What can I do? Um, well, um, um, are, are you asking this in, in like a coming from a different? So from, for instance, for in, in your specific situation, you came from, from which area exactly? I came from health. <laughs> okay, uh, but it wasn't tech. It wasn't tech. It was uh, health, really health, health. Right? Okay, we can imagine that the person has some background. Yeah. Okay. So, well, um, I think that there are a lot of ways to to get into to tech, and there are a lot of ways to get into also to do the quality space. One of the things that that a lot of times, um, I, I, it's 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 a big topic that a lot and lots of interesting conversations around. Um, that that I see is in the topic versus like how technical do you need to be to, to get into this space yeah. where actually in the quality space I do believe that there's space for a lot of stuff you know mm -hmm. um, yeah because I mean um, there are definitely uh, I see nowadays I see that the there are many ways in which people can bring value into the table. Uh, being um, working with engineering teams uh, uh, from a quality from the quality side, you can either be technical if you already have those those ability uh, those um, that sort of background, and of course that there, there's uh, automation is amazing for us to deal to mitigate risk um, and to to have fast validations over the software that we build and we change. There are many other ways that where you don't have to be that technical that you can also contribute. Sometimes being in a quality position really means getting the right people to talk to each other and having the right discussions, you know, and, and I've seen quality engineers that are really, really talented in making, in, in pointing out um, to, to a group of people, what are the, the key aspects that we should concern about. So having, and for, for that sort of thing, um, being able to facilitate uh, uh, discussion formats, being able to, having like a, a very acute critical sense over, over things, being able to ask interesting questions is very, very valuable. And, and you don't exactly learn that from a Java book or from a C-sharp book, you know. Um, also, um, exploratory testing, for instance, is something that um, it's not exactly like, uh, I, I do believe that it's it's kind of a, a science in an hard form uh, by itself. It really, I mean, a lot of people believe that, oh, exploratory testing, anyone can do that, but actually it's it's something that can be perfected and you can also become a, a specialist at doing exploratory testing. Um, and and you don't, once again, you don't exactly learn that from technical books or anything like that. So, so yeah, so if, if I have any sort of advice, it's like understand that 
there are many ways in which you can get into this space. Um, figure out, uh, given the things, for instance, that I've just described, um, where do you see yourself providing value to, to a specific team or to a specific company? Um, uh, and take it from there, because then you can, you can progress to whichever uh, area you find interesting afterwards. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. And actually, one of Lisa's, uh, Lisa Crispin's book, also the Agile Tester one, uh, mm -hmm. she, like the first chapter is about that. So how important is the communication and uh, the role of the quality engineers in establishing that communication, right? Exactly. But, okay, I also see a lot of my colleagues um, that want to start an automation career. So they want to learn at least something, either because they want to pursue that as a job or maybe just would like to understand better how it works. Um, what you believe would be the, the best thing to start? Is there any suggestion of you know a, an easy step-by-step uh, -step approach? For starting in automation? Yeah. Well, first, um... Do uh, do acknowledge that the, the testing community is really amazing in the quality community. And for instance, you if you take what Angie Jones has, has put together with Test Automation U, there's the, it's like a free university online where you can just take courses and get into our automation and, and get into a lot of these different uh, subjects easily and, and for free. So that's definitely a, a great starting point. And then at the same time, the community is, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's this, this the this um, ecosystem where it's it's also really easy to find people to help you if you need any help or people to advise you so that is definitely also um, a very good a good way to start um, and yeah so I I think I would start there there. There are many ways to start in automation. And for instance, another thing that I, I think that a lot of times is useful is that um, it's like taking it step by step in the sense that maybe uh, when you start inside of quality, not coming from a technical background, you start by, okay, I'll maybe I'm in a position where I'm doing some sort of exploratory testing, or maybe I'm dealing with test cases and scripted manual testing. And then it's like, okay, let me start by uh, very small steps. I mean, I have to, there's lots of testing to be done. It's being done manually. It takes a lot of time to conduct. Where is like the first opportunity at something that is just a little bit outside of my comfort zone that I could try to automate using a, a tool? Sometimes it doesn't have to be like a, a really uh, complex solution, but you can try putting something together using scripting languages or, 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 or tools like, um, like UI testing tools or something like that. Exactly. Take it step by step and and learn um, learn um, learn this way. And by at the same time, already providing value by shortening the feedback loops as you eliminate a lot of the manual testing that's really repetitive and could be much well be done through through automation. I agree. And guys, uh, we will share the links maybe to some things that we are mentioning, like Test Automation New Academy from, from Angie Jones. Uh, this is really an amazing uh, opportunity to learn like anything that you want. So it has a, a lot of good material. I definitely mm -hmm. uh, recommend that as well. Okay. Um, and I would like also to ask, 
from another perspective. So I know that you're a quality owner. You are a great expert in quality. And oh, I, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So it's certified by me. So um, there are a lot of startups out there, right? And a lot of them don't have any quality or Maybe they have, I don't know, unit tests, but there is no a department like quality. So mm -hmm. I would like you uh, to share um, your ideas on how maybe a company or like, I don't know, the first quality engineer in a team can start implementing quality. Well, um, one of the things that um, that we that in my context, we really like to see, we like to see quality in, in an holistic form. Okay, and so of course that we are disciples of, of things like quality engineering and the modern testing principles, and um, I think if you're starting off, uh, you 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 gotta look at that one of the rules of the of the principles, which is um, the customer ultimately is the the best person to to assess the quality of your of your software of of your product, and ma that may mean a lot of different things. Um, a thing that I think that historically um, has been a problem in a lot of times is that um, oh we need to to have quality, we need to do testing, so let's start doing testing. But before you do that, I mean. I think there's a process in which you should uh, try to understand, okay, which sort of value I'm providing to my to my customers. Um, where are the risks in my path at providing that value? And then when you look at those risks, and of course that <laughs> when we talk about risks, there's lots to be to be said there on how you can evaluate risk over the things that you build. Um, then you can start figuring out, okay, what options do we have to mitigate those risks, or can we accept those risks? And so, and 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 so, a lot of times that will mean that you will be doing testing, and sometimes you can just start with small steps and then see what's working for you and what you wish to invest more on. But some some other times it's not. Maybe you you don't need testing to mitigate risks. Sometimes you just think about the ways you are rolling out features to your customers. You're thinking about um, release strategies. You're thinking on uh, monitoring things in production, being really good at reacting to, to bad things happening, you know? Yeah. And this experimental nature, uh, a lot of times is, is really good to mitigate risks and, and to handle all of that. So do look at quality in your in your new product um, from the perspective of the value that you're providing and start from there and evaluate the risks that you will want to mitigate cool speaking about risks and i'm glad <laughs> you mentioned that i know that you are a huge fan of the risk storming mm -hmm. yes and i am pretty sure that there are a lot of people that would love to learn more about it so can you please explain Explain us a little bit what it, what it is. Yeah, so so um, I can explain a bit. It's like uh, so, and and I I started getting into the risk storming um, thing because of us. Uh, I'm sorry. Sometimes you're probably going to hear my kids playing around the house, but that's, that's just part COVID. Of yeah, <laughs> um, they're they're kind of screaming right now. Um, uh, so um, I I got into risk storming because I was really really. Um, curious about uh, this whole matter of uh, evaluating risk, okay, and managing risk, because I think that in software engineering units, you hear a lot about uh, risk uh, and what are the risks that we are taking, what are the risks that we are that, that we are uh, looking for, etc. But I never saw anything uh, specific, not like any sort of format or mechanism that will would allow you to better think about risk. And I started like 
chasing that problem, you know, um, as a quality uh, as a quality owner at OutSystems, and 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 it was like, no, I can't find much things on this on on this area. How do I approach my team and give them? something that uh, uh, makes it easier for them or makes it better for them to think about the risks that they are that they are that they are taking in with a, a new initiative or something like that and what i found was that there was this kind of new thing going on in the international testing community especially um through ministry of testing and the test bashes format uh, which was risk storming so uh, risk storming um, is a brainstorming exercise. I like to call it like a structured brainstorming exercise. So there's like a, a deck of cards by um, that was built by um, Baron Vandala, um, among uh, with the help of other folks, um, called the Test Fear uh, Card Deck. That is basically a. It's kind of like a a card a game card deck, you know, in which that and but it's full of of. Um, common industry knowledge regarding quality and testing okay so and you'll see lots of cards in there that then are are cool for you to to do a, a various different sorts of of exercises or activities maybe you can use those cards to help you in a retro with your team with your team or you can use those cards to um to uh, facilitate a a a um a conversation between a one on one between a developer and a tester there's lots of different things that you can do with the test fear card deck which has a lot of knowledge common knowledge um one of the most popular um, uh, uh, things you can do with the deck is actually risk storming. And with risk storming, it's structured in a way that you use the, the card deck um, to um, go over three things about uh, the software that you're building or like the project that you have at hands. Uh, I really like to apply it to projects, not at, at much to systems, which is a bit different. So if I'm building like, um, so the, one thing that they do that Baron does a lot is uh, a workshop around risk storming where he explains risk storming around the Star Wars Death Star or or even the Back to the Future DeLorean, the, the time machine. It's like, let's do risk storming around the Death Star. And then, oh, of course, that we have security issues with this, right? Because the rebels are coming. And then, so it's, it's a cool way. So you can apply it to a lot of things, including software. But the thing that's cool is that it goes through three different stages. You first um, evaluate the quality. What are the most quality aspects um, that the team identifies uh, for that specific system or project? And when I say quality aspects, things like performance, security, so uh, various different domains where that that pertain to quality. And then inside, it's already so it's an exercise where you have to elect the the six most imp important ones, and that is already focusing the. Um, the team uh, into uh, the most important areas, and then it has it. It it makes the team shell out some risks inside of those areas, and also gather ideas on how to mitigate those risks. Um, and I once I, I one of the first risk storming sessions I did at OutSystems because we've already done I don't know I, I think I've already done like twenty sessions in 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 since last year or something like that. This has really taken off there. Um, at one of the first sessions, I had an agile coach, which was uh, interesting to know more about the format. And after seeing a session, what he told me is that 
this feels pretty much to something that we uh, uh, pr pretty similar to something we call a, a pre-mortem. And in a pre-mortem, it's a different format. It's a bit more of an open format, where instead of doing a post-mortem after something bad happens, you mm -hmm. do a pre-mortem where you kind of like, let's imagine what could go wrong and let's imagine why it did go wrong and deal with that now instead of later in a post-mortem, okay? But, and he said, this feels like a pre-mortem, but it's easier and faster to 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 gather uh, good ideas regarding risks because you're being helped by the common knowledge in the cards. So maybe you're like, oh, so let's brainstorm things that could go wrong, and then no one is thinking about stuff like accessibility or like uh, multiple language or like and the fact that you have the cards and all of a sudden someone sees the card. Mm, I didn't, th I haven't thought about this. This is actually something we didn't consider, you know. Um, so yeah. I, I've already talked a lot about risk storming, but the thing that I found with risk storming is that it has given me a way to to take a, a an engineering team and making them think and in a structured way about risks and shelling out the risks in an efficient way. So that was, and then of course there's a lot to be said, like how do you manage those risks up front? How do you keep track of them? But at least with risk storming, you're already starting pretty well. But would you recommend to other people participate, like uh, uh, not only developers, I don't know, product owners? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And, and in my experience, that's one of the beauties of, of the game itself, is that uh, by having uh, uh, lots of different roles uh, participating in that specific event, um, you get lots of insights that, and lots of very high valuable communication between the different roles that maybe you wouldn't get another way. Normally, when I do um, a risk storming session with a team, I always say it's basically mandatory for product management or product or the product owner to be present in the session because I've been amazed at the amount of of, of situations that I've seen where where they bring so much value and they and they have a conversation in the middle of a risk storming session that that could have had resulted in a lot of problems further down the line. Things, for instance. I was talking about multiple languages, which is one of the quality aspects of, of, of uh, in the test for your card deck. I, I've been to like two sessions in two different teams with two different projects where the team was like, oh, multiple languages. Oh, this is not going to be a problem. And they put the card aside. And then the product owner is like, wait a minute. He fetches the card. Are you kidding me? We're going to have a Japanese customer. What? You didn't tell us this. And you see... This is mu it's much better for this to happen at the beginning of the project rather than later when they're expecting for certain things to have been taken in, in, into mind, but they, they, they weren't. I have actually one question. You mentioned several times that you suggest this for mm. the systems, for the new systems, uh, but why if, uh, what if it's uh, only a new feature? I mean, I don't know, I am uh, um, an online meeting up and I am adding a presentation possibility. So there's- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I, I wasn't saying it, 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 it's apl applicable to new systems. I'm, I'm, I was saying like projects or initiatives, you know? Okay. So if you're, if you're adding like, okay, maybe you're not going, the way we are doing it, 
we're not doing it like risk storming for a small thing that you're going yeah. to build in like a couple of days. But if you have like a, 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 a larger initiative of like, we're going to spend the next few sprints on uh, sp investing effort on this thing. And at the end, we want to have this this set of new features that give us a new a, a entire new capability in our system. That's the sort of thing in which I like to apply risk storming to. Yeah, I, I mean, it. Uh... It's the effort of doing the risk storming, so of course it's yeah. for bigger uh, features. And um, what I want also to share with uh, people that are watching us is mm -hmm. you have the card decks that you can order online, and you mm -hmm. also have, so now that we are all remote, we also have some online versions, and there is also a website that I can share with you afterwards. Yeah. You can try it out and see how it goes. Uh, yeah. and see the value of it because I definitely agree that it's a huge, huge uh, help to, you know, just boost the communication and direct it and guarantee mm -hmm. that we talk uh, like about important things. And speaking about that, from your experience, um, how long does it take to, to do a risk storming session? Well, um, one of the things that we found with the pandemic is that uh, it, it, it takes, so it, it's interesting that, um, like I remember last year discussing even with Baron himself, the creator of the whole format, because he created the card deck, but also the risk storming format. Um, in those days, um, we kind of or or they kind of the creators kind of believed that it would be really hard to do risk storming online. Um, personally, I also had that idea, and um, uh, but then with the pandemic, I figured out that it was it wasn't exactly true. So it's you can do risk storming on sites when when you're in the same location. You can do risk storming online. What you can't do, what doesn't really work, is like a hybrid version where maybe a few people are inside a room uh, doing the exercise and some others are are just watching in through a big screen yeah. and the, and the, so this hybrid situation didn't work at all. But if everyone is online or if everyone is on site, that works pretty well. Now the thing is. On site, I used to do risk storming sessions in like one hour and a half, and it was the full exercise. Usually, there would be there would be a follow up exercise, but it was more about let's take all we all that we've learned from the risk storming session and start populating the backlog of the team with all the mitigations that we want to do. Okay, okay. Um, online it has taken a bit more time. Um, like I, I, I can take like two, two and a half hours to three hours and maybe it's not just one session. You do like a couple of sessions, you know, uh, but one of the things that, um, Lisa Crispin has told me, uh, is that, well, that maybe that's not related to risk storming, uh, exactly. It's, it's just something that you figure out happens in everything in all of these formats that you do online that yeah. they, they can work online, but usually it's when facilitated events take a bit more time when they're done online. So there are advantages advantages and disadvantages. It's much, it's much easier to uh, set up a risk storming session when people can be uh, uh, remote, you know, because their availability is usually much better. Uh, but at the same time, when you do it on site, it's it's a bit faster to do. So yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, thank you. Um, and now speaking about, and we, we spoke already about new techniques. Um, mm -hmm. I would like also to ask you another tricky question. So uh, I faced this myself before as well. And I would like to, to know your approach. So imagine that you want to implement a new tool or you're looking for a new, I don't know, test management, test automation tool. 
what you usually do to analyze the tool. So what are the uh, main criteria that you would look at? For the tool? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> well, that's 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 kind of a big question. But um, I think that a lot of times is, is like, um, so I, 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 I think that we should always um, really balance uh, between the, the decision. So the, usually there's a decision to be made of if you're going to build something or if you're going to use something that already exists. Um, and I think that when you, you have to choose a tool to, um, to, to solve a specific problem, um, you should really um, look into um, what exactly are the use cases that the tool um, uh, uh, is trying to address rather than uh, trying to adapt adapt a tool to something that's not quite the same, but it's what you want it to be. So for instance, what, I, what I'm trying to, to reach here, and I can, can tell a story about this, is that so yes, please. I remember that in the past that we, at some point, we were, in my team, we were highly investing in, in doing performance testing. And usually it's like, oh, what do you use to, to do performance testing? Which, which tool are you doing? Question. You know, and um, I started looking, I had already have had like a, a, a bit of experience with, with performance testing tools. So I had used JMeter a lot in the past, but then it was like, okay, but I'm, I'm I'm JMeter is cool for a number of situations, but first it's it's I, I see it as mostly the use case is to do low testing, which is like uh, get a lot of users simulating lots of users trying to access your system all at the same time, um, and that wasn't my case. I was trying to to this is my case. This is actually a system that's not accessed by a lot of people at the same time. The, the, the problem is dealing with lots of data and that's a different, different sort of thing. Yeah. I want to test the, the, the performance of the system when I have lots of data. And so I need to, to, um, to approach it. So, so the, the load testing for me doesn't do it. And then at the same time, it's like, I need to really, um, uh, measure a lot of the detail of, of the, the experience, which um, which also implies understanding exactly what the user is experiencing at the browser level, because this was an app web application. And what I found is that well, JMeter is not cool for this. You know, it's like you you like it's mostly catered at like. Um, at like a, um, uh, it's mostly catered at low testing scenarios and interacting like with HTTP requests to a specific server. I wanted more than that. Of course, that there were plugins for the the browser side, but they wouldn't fix my problem. I started looking into into other sorts of tools, um, and then I, I, for instance, I came across Gatling, and Gatling was like, um, it 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 kind of like fit the bill of what I was looking for, but the learning curve was pretty steep because I knew nothing about Scala. And yeah. I asked a few people about Scala and they were like, oh yeah, Scala is powerful, but you're going to spend a bit of time figuring it out. And I, I was okay. And then I was like, I, I think that in this specific project, um, the, the, the culprit, the, the, the hardest part of what we're trying to test is not the, the UI nature of this, but rather the data side, okay? Yeah. So let me just, so in, in, in a couple of days, I just built something that was really simple and that just allowed me to like build something in WebDriver because since I already did a lot of um, UI testing using WebDriver, I just want yeah. to like simulate a, a few scenarios and then, um, 
then invest a lot in getting the right data for the, these tests in place so that we can uh, consistently test everything as we move along. So the reason why I'm telling this story is that this is what happened to us and we ended up building a very, a, very small and very simple thing that solved our problem um, mm -hmm. where sometimes um, people people can can cannot make this first analysis and consider all of the options. Maybe they think, well, everyone says that performance testing, you should be using JMeter or you should be using Gatling and they jump, jump right into to those tools and spend a lot of effort into them and maybe they're they're not the best um, the best choice for the job. Um, and so Evaluating things this way, I think, I think, I think that you really need to be criterious and and figuring out what what the nature of what you're trying to test is is before choosing. I hope I answered your question yeah, somewhat. You did. <laughs> of course, and it's a huge coincidence. I am trying to implement Gatling now in my project. Okay. And, uh, yeah, last week I was also you know really surprised about the complexity that that it is because of the scala not because of the tool itself because i know zero about scala although mm -hmm. i came from a company that was coding in scala i didn't learn anything about it and now yeah now i somehow i need to figure out how i will do it but yeah gladly i have awesome scala uh, professionals in my team but uh, yeah. that's cool that's cool yeah yep. but i need to learn something about it as well and yeah but uh, Kathleen, uh, yeah but if you think about it, I mean, I think that what we, we were speaking here, we we're saying that maybe we're coming up with a list of things that you should take into account, like what is like what is the the, the learning curve for the tool that you're considering, um, yeah. and also always evaluate the, that like not just you but the rest of the people because a lot of times it's not going to be just up to you to be building and maintaining those sorts of tests. So it's it's got to be seen as as a learning curve for a specific team or a number of people. Um, you have to figure out about, okay, what, what are the, the core use cases for this tool? Do they fit what I'm trying to do or not? How easy or, um, or complex is it to put something very simple into place? Maybe it's something that already exists or you build it yourself like I did in my case and then figure out, okay, so this is definitely showing me that I'm, I'm going uh, in the right direction, that my approach is, is giving me value. Okay, maybe now I don't want to use this, but I can, I can invest in another tool because I already have that validation. I mean, one of the things that, that definitely more than the tool, okay, is, uh, and like everything else in software engineering, try doing small experiments quickly and learn from them quickly uh, and not like, okay, we're going to use, I don't want to, to say Scala again, not Scala, uh, Gatling again, because Gatling is, is definitely not bad. It's just like an example, but we're going to go with this tool, but we're going to, we will only see the first results in three months time. I mean, that's definitely a situation where you're investing a lot in a specific thing and then if you're not going into in the right direction you already spend three months on that specific approach where you yeah. should be like trying to do it smaller and then taking from that iterating and learning from the process yeah i totally agree and uh I faced this before also a situation, I don't know whether it happened to use uh, any time, but I was working in projects when everybody was complaining about the, the tool set that we had, but nobody was uh, able to suggest anything because, you know, they, they were using it for a long time and nobody was up to come up with something. And uh, I do remember I was 
really really afraid of you know stepping in and saying like okay but maybe we could use this or that mm -hmm. um but yeah i did and it it was um great for me because i in terms of my work experience, for me, it was much easier, you know, with mm -hmm. the new tool. But it took a lot to me to, to you know, just to be able to suggest something. And I was kind of a spy, you know, working in secret uh, parallelly, <laughs> trying out the new tool because I thought that, okay, nobody will want it. And mm -hmm. yeah, it ended up good with my story. But uh, guys, <laughs> don't be afraid of just, you know, suggesting yeah. sometimes people that have chosen the first tool maybe they don't know or maybe uh, i don't know there are new tools appearing or technology evolves and exactly. things don't make sense anymore so for instance for if you talk about like um uh, web applications it's like it's it's a, a totally different scenario that you have not, right now um than you had like 10 years ago because yeah. 10 years ago, it was pretty much web, uh, web 2.0, where things work in a specific way, and there are tools that are catered to that. Nowadays, you have a lot of stuff using React or using Angular, and there's different sorts of interactions with the server, and maybe an old school tool is not, all, it's not appropriate anymore. So there you go. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. <laughs> and now I have a kind of polemic question because I've heard many, many different answers to it mm -hmm. and many approaches. There's so many approaches in different companies. And I would like uh, to know what is your opinion on mm -hmm. uh, quality um, engineers or quality assurance or testers or te mm -hmm. quality team being a police, a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a lot of projects when yeah. go and no go are decided by the quality team. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about it? Well, that's an interesting question. And and like, um, to be honest, I think that if you look at the industry, you'll find different kinds of, of, of lines of thinking. There's like the, there, there are some folks, um, leading practitioners that will go with that, with that policing uh, or gatekeeping um, approach. I'm not the biggest fan of that. Then there's also another, uh, uh, some other folks that will say that, um, testers and quality um, quality professionals are providers of information and they're there to provide the, the best possible information in order for then someone else to, to make a decision. So they're not exactly in the gatekeeper's uh, uh, position, but they're like making sure that everyone knows the implications of things. Um, I, with, with my school of thought, to be honest, and given that that's I'm 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 a, a big fan of the modern testing principles and the whole team approach, I think that it's a mix. It's not like I don't I don't see myself uh, as being a gatekeeper. I do believe that quality should provide the best possible information for the team to be able to um, to 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 make their decisions. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like the quality owner or the quality engineer is involved and it's like, so here's the information. Now you decide. No, it's everyone inside the team. And sometimes these, these are the it's like these are the hardest situations to be at because it's almost like democratic, you know, and, and it's not it's not that you're going to vote on the decision. Do we do we move forward? Don't we move forward? Do we stop this release? No, but it, it really um, it really makes the whole team um, uh, uh, agree on a decision moving forward or not agree. Sometimes it's like disagreeing and committing to to a certain decision, but mm -hmm. at least 
all sides of 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 the of, of uh, the all stakeholders and all sides of of the engineering um, practice had a had a say into that yeah, specific decision. To the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. We have an online question. Uh, so Luigi is asking, what do you think is the best strategy to have developers and QI collaborating, for example, TDD? Yeah. So, um, well, TDD is definitely a, a it's, it's, and, and I got this a lot, a lot from Lisa. Lisa has, has, has told me a lot of things about TDD because she has more, ex more experience in, in knowing how, how TDD uh, has uh, appeared in certain, certain organizations. And mm -hmm. I talk a lot about Lisa because Lisa is working with us at OutSystems. Um, and, and, and one of the things that, that I've learned is that TDD is a proven way of, of, um, of, uh, of, in, in, of improving quality over any software engineering process. But at the same time, it's something that requires a lot of investment. It's, it, takes, it takes a lot of time for a, a development team and an engineering team to become uh, good at practicing TDD. Okay, and and I'm taking this because TDD is is like a big. So I know that Luis is asking regarding um, the collaboration between developers and QA and being like this whole team approach to these things. Yeah. One of them being TDD. Um, I think that there are, there are two things that you should always take into account and should be like start be the starting points of your strategy of making this collaboration work um, regarding what you're like want to do maybe you want to pair up maybe you, you want developers to be doing more manual testing or more automation automation whatever this is the example of tdd but maybe it's something else two things that you should um, uh, evaluate up front which is where you should start inside a team don't Try like to do everything all at the same time inside a team because usually that's hard to tackle. Um, so and teams are different. Sometimes you need to find like the who are the best candidates inside of the team, like the people that you you see get a bit more excited about about testing and about the testing side of of, of, in, of software engineering yeah. and start with those and then like start inf like infecting the other ones. You know, like like uh, influencing everyone else at the team. Sometimes it's like there's a central figure inside the team and that's the person that you want to influence and focus your 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 efforts on and then at the same time um be be making sure that there's a space for this to happen because one of the challenges is in like working with these people starting small and then enlarging from that um but another aspect is making sure that that space exists and a lot of times that includes having ma uh, management on board that's that you're that uh, with with this idea because if if management doesn't see any value in it or if it believes yeah. that it's not the right thing to do then def then that it becomes really hard to to start having these collabor collaborating uh situations um so and when i say management it's like uh make sure that like hey we want to so we have this idea of of like having pairing sessions between the developer and the tester or we have this idea of having developers start doing these specific types of tests um are you okay with it we're going to start with a small experiment see what that gives us and then present the results and and is this okay or not or maybe even in some situations management is okay yeah yeah let's ha start having you have a green light to start investing in this because once you have that that uh, backup, that that um, um, how do you say, like that um, validation for management, it becomes much more easy uh, to 
to start with these experiments and then um always have like a specific target uh, like a specific always try to tie what you're trying to do with this collaboration between devs and, and quality always try to tie it with some sort of value that the team is going to see i mean just doing it by the sake of doing it might might lead to something that people are even have fun doing but then if it's the result that is not solving a problem for the team maybe that's not good but when it's something that the team really sees oh this is going to improve our life this is going to uh, give us more space to to do other activities this is going to allow us to tackle risk much more uh, uh frequent uh, much more um much faster um then it's something that the team will value and it will really uh, uh, allow you to continue and, and make these sorts of collaboration work better. I hope I had, I answered that question. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> Let's see if Luis agrees. Uh, thank you. And now I also wanted to ask another thing about the checklist. Um, I had the honor to, to see Lisa's uh, talk in uh, DevOps Lisbon on Monday, and mm -hmm. she mentioned a lot of checklists, and I, really? I bet you you use some of them, at least you are, you should know something that can help, you know, an everyday of a QA or Q, Q. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best person with the checklists, but um, so the thing that I mentioned earlier, the Test Sphere card deck, um, I think it's really useful um, for, for other s sorts of formats. And so when you're doing exploratory testing or you're doing, um, it's really good to have the deck around and looking at the cards sometimes, it reveals something to you like, okay, I'm testing this. It's like a black can blank canvas for me. What, what yeah. should I be concerning with and being reminded, okay, this is important, that is important, etc. cetera. Uh, so that's definitely a tool I have under my tool, bet, uh, tool belt. Another thing, that I like, but this is a bit more specific. I always find myself going back to to that one. Is that the, is the um, the list of naughty strings, which you can look in online. Um, it's it's even has its GitHub repository. It's essentially um, uh, uh, people in the community have come up with various different strings um, that or or so textual content, con, uh, con, um, content that can uh, provide problems to your application. So if you have a form and, okay, I have to test this form. I need to, un I need to see how this form might, might break. Sometimes you start like trying out like, okay, this is expecting a number. What if I write the word? Oh, it has a, a nice error message. That's cool. This is expecting for a, a date format or something like that. But then you have the list of naughty strings where you have a bunch of things in there like Japanese characters. You have yeah. um, smileys. Trying putting smileys inside of a form. You have um, strings that attempt at doing SQL injection. So things that we'll see. Let's see if I if I run this, this will have an, a, a nasty effect over the database. So it's a it's a it's an excellent way to like accelerate when you're when you're uh, testing something um, that has text uh, uh, involved, which is a lot of our work, a lot of times. The list of naughty string, strings is something yeah. I find myself going back to a lot of times. But, but as I say, I'm 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 not as strong in, on checklists as Liz is. <laughs> but these are a few that come to mind. One, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I do remember that when I started in uh, the QA, I had something similar that I was using quite often, and then I just stopped for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be cool if you could share the link and yes, also link here on YouTube. 
mm-hmm. uh, for people to to have a look because yeah i do remember that it was super useful it had everything and yeah also, also always trying to um type the swiss characters and stuff like that and see what what, what will happen I, I i also remember the um uh, a new one i believe let me just uh make sure that uh um that I'm not uh, yeah so um, a lot of times one of the things that is also um, yeah I remember that another one which is for API testing the poised mm-hmm. mnemonic so it's like parameters outputs interrupt security errors in data so it's like poised p-o-i-s-e-d so uh this is something that a lot of folks like to use um and if you look for the poised for this specific thing online and there's even a test automation university course on that i'm seeing right here um it's also something like okay i'm going to test an api what are the things that i i i I have under my tool belt to really test this out and this is the sort of of heuristic that a lot of people use when approaching that so that's definitely a great resource for for api testing great suggestions thank you yes and now that we are in suggestions please could you suggest us also like the books that have mm-hmm. i don't know influenced you the most or that you like the most about testing yeah um i'm not going to answer about testing <laughs> i'm going to answer about quality yeah. <laughs> no but so for instance i i believe that anyone in the quality space should read uh, once uh, accelerate uh, by Nicole Forsgren. It's a DevOps book, okay? But the thing is, a lot of the things that are in there are t- uh, intimately um, uh, connected with quality and even with testing. And there's a lot of things there that if from a tester's perspective, you're reading that and you start going, yes, at last someone proves it. This this makes the, the whole sense. And and so what and so DevOps and quality are 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 two things that 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 go together and accelerate for me is the staple book that anyone everyone should read uh, on the subject of, of devops of cicd of shortening feedback loops etc and there's very interesting things in there yeah there's also um uh, the i do believe that the book also covers what people call the dora metrics which in the industry have been establishing as the four key four key metrics that you can follow to and that have proven to be useful to um um improve quality um inside an engineering organization and a lot of times people are like oh what quality metrics do you use what quality metrics do you use and that the answer for that is really really contextual and what what works for some people um, may not work for others because it it all depends on on the nature of the problems they're trying to solve but there's this large consensus in my my belief from what i observe that the door metrics are, are usually very good starting points for you to think about the way that you mitigate risk think about the ways you are releasing um software to your users and and how you are reacting to problems um, so Accelerate is definitely a book I recommend everyone. Then, um, of course, that um, the uh, Lisa, Lisa Crispin's te- uh, books, um, the most recent one, Agile Testing Condensed. If you want to learn all things about how to how, how it is to be uh, how it, how it is the practice of testing inside an Agile team, is definitely something I recommend. Um, I'm going to 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 recommend two more. I've always lo- loved. Katrina Cloakey's book, um, 
let me just I don't remember the name so I'm searching as I'm talking to you uh, and see. worst of cases we all also try yeah. to leave the, the titles at least yes it's a practical guide to testing in DevOps by Katrina Cloakey. Um, and this, it, I really like this book. Um, I really like this book for anyone who, who wants to see various different aspects of testing in a DevOps situation, in a modern situation. It's not a book that goes really into detail, but allows you to like to look at various different things that, that entail testing. And then, oh, I want to know more about that. Okay. Uh, there's a few resources here that will allow me to go further deeper into that. So I, it's it's one of those books I like to reference. And then um, every time we're talking about quality, every time we're talking about testing, um, there's there there is a, a a very important topic that in the past was oftentimes overlooked, and nowadays in the industry is is very is highly talked about, which is testability. Okay, and in that sense, I definitely recommend Ash Winders and Rob Rob Meany's book called the Testability Book. Um, I can give you the 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 the, the reference uh, later on. Um, the name of the book is Team Guide to Testability to Software Testability, I believe. Um, exactly. Um, it was it was released this year, I do believe, and in and and it's a very very good book on testability and in looking at systems from the testability perspective and what you and what you can do in that sense. And then there's a book that I want to read, but I haven't read, and I've seen uh, lots of people raving and saying amazing stuff about it. So I, I kind of like, I'm very curious to, to, to read in the future, which is, um, um, uh, as you can see, I, I should have, it's Leading Quality, okay? It's, it's, um, it's a, a book by, um, so uh, Ronald Cummings, John, and always Peer, and this this has, has been a book that has been widely uh, uh, talked about uh, in the international testing community. Either, to be honest. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I will definitely provide all of the, uh, all of the references for all of these books I've just. Um, yeah, thank you. We'll leave that in the comments so people yes. can check. And we yep. have some online questions uh, here okay. in chat. So Diogo is asking, during an agile sprint, what do you think a QA can do to mitigate risk due to time pressure on the development team? What do you think a QA can do to mitigate risk due to time pressure on the development team? So if I understand this question correctly, um, to time pressure, uh, Oh, to mitigate risk due to time pressure. Okay, I was thinking this the, the completely the wrong way, but I do believe that what Yogo is trying to tell us is uh, the risk that that comes from the time pressure on the development team. Well, in my in my personal um, in my personal experience, if 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 there's a time pressure, um, is like focusing a lot of times. You can mitigate a lot of risks by doing small uh, like frequent releases and frequent deliveries you know so a lot of times it's not about excuse me inside the sprint um inside whatever whatever your the way you're working but let's say that yeah usually it's like let's make sure that to, even inside the sprint yes of course i mean um i think that uh, one of the best ways when when you have time pressures if you're 
if you're setting up the work that you're doing, if you're setting up the features to be as thinly sliced as, as possible, so that you start with something small and then you, you it's like the, the metaphor for you start with the skateboard to, to, to be able to travel and then you build upon the skateboard into a bike and then into a motorcycle and then into a car. And so it's that sort of metaphor and start, instead of trying to build the car as quickly as possible and then you end up with, with a, a, a something that doesn't resemble a car at all. Um, so um, I think that the way that you, you structure the, the features that you're going to release is very important. And looking, maybe not looking, uh, of course the testing has to be put in place and validating things, but looking at ways of how can we release frequently so that we can learn really fast um, uh, about both about the, the, the nature of what we're building in the sense of, is it the right thing that we're building for our users? And also on, on another side, are we doing it the right way? Are we finding problems in production and are we reacting to them quickly? Uh, on a personal note, if you allow me, um, I would also add that uh, I know of different teams that um, although they are working in an agile uh, mode, they still work like in a kind of small waterfalls within Agile, that means mm -hmm. that they have, I don't know, one week or if in a two-week sprint, they have eight days of development and then on a release day is when the, the QAs have the yeah. power of testing. So I think that that, it's all, um, that, that has been, you know, discussed uh, in a lot of conferences and talks out mm -hmm. there. And it's really important to the quality engineers being involved as soon as uh, possible, like mm -hmm. not in the release when, okay, we, we are ending the sprint and now we need to deliver something. So, hey, can you can you please test it? So it's really crucial for, for you to be involved like in the test design while you have the specs design, perhaps if that is possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you can start testing early on the dev environment, for example, rather just on validating in test or staging. So try to be involved as soon as possible because it's really crucial and it also will help uh, demonstrate the um, the importance of what you're doing. So yeah, it's not, you know, just uh, checking quickly things and saying, okay, we are good to go. You can release yeah. it. It's uh, showing the value of it. Yep. Gladly we are now seeing more and more people um, understanding the, the power of quality. Uh, but <laughs> And I think that that leads you to the next question actually. Uh, let me check. So Nuno is asking, João, do you think that over the last few years the QA profession has been seen as a priority in companies or is it still seen as a secondary role? Well, yeah, uh, I think that experiences will vary. I mean, of course, that there will be companies that maybe it's still seen as a secondary role. Um, in, other, in other places, not as much. Um, I do believe that First, all of the indicators that we see is that um, quality, the quality space has seen transformation with the, the, the rise of automation and that has been ha highly discussed of, okay, we used to do a lot of manual testing, what are we doing nowadays and how do professionals need to adapt to that? But I don't believe that um, the quality is being relegated to a second place. I, the, you, we see lots of demand for people um, in the quality space, that's just 
effects. I think that the way technology is evolving and the complexity of systems really requires um, quality-related uh, professionals, uh, professionals and, and companies do acknowledge that. And also, I think that with the rise of DevOps, um, this has made things even more uh, like quality um, is intrinsically uh, connected to DevOps, and this is making it even stand brighter and and more uh, and giving it a more important role because it doesn't really make a lot of sense for instance for people to be thinking about feedback loops and ci cd systems where you do a lot of thing automatically so that you are able to release uh, faster when then you also don't validate uh, really fast what you're doing and you need really need um expertise from qualified professionals to do that so i do believe that um of course that there will still be places where maybe it's seen as a secondary role, but I think that we're seeing a change in the world where uh, the, the quality professional, I'm not saying QA as Nunu uh, put it, but the quality profession is is at least getting uh, a, a more preponderant um, place than it was before. Yeah, that's true. Well, we in the quality, we have a lot of different titles and positions, so. Yep. <laughs> Okay, I think that we don't have uh, any more questions here, and we are over the time anyway. Uh, let me just quickly ask about your future plans. So, I don't know, maybe you're uh, releasing a book, not yet? No, 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 <laughs> definitely not a book. <laughs> no, I'm, um, so So one of the things I've been um, mostly, most, and, and, one of the things I, I've been most interested in um, in in, la in the last couple of years has been observability. So observability is this big new thing that has come up. Um, it's 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 it has become like a a how how do you say a like a hot topic like a, one of those keywords like like uh, 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 excuse me the buzzwords exact buzzword it has become a buzzword it's like it's like uh when when uh, um i'm sorry this is i'm uh, <laughs> my head is is tired so now i can't find the words but it's like when big data was uh, the the buzzword or other yeah. kinds of or or devops etc and now one of the big buzzwords is observability and i really think that it's like the future of quality and the future of software engineering um and so i've been trying to um get more into observability uh, understand more uh, what what we can get from observability, what, what exactly it means to us, um, mm -hmm. and one and for one of the things that that I do believe is that uh, we need to find ways to explain to people and for people to understand what observability exactly is. So I'm I'm now uh, coming up with a new talk about what uh, uh, so, so an example of a situation that happened at OutSystems where that we had we. We figured out something about observability regarding the uh, our flaky tests, and I, I want to tell that story now in the future. Um, so, so there you go. That's one of the, the areas I definitely want to 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 develop myself. Another thing that I've been really interested in is on cognitive biases and cognitive biases for people that do, do not know is like the sorts of things. Um, uh, it's 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 something that all all of us humans are subjected to without even knowing that really influence our behavior, um, and they have been like thoroughly studied by very like uh, uh, intelligent scientists and even people have won Nobel prizes around the the subject of cognitive biases. And I'm 
I'm I'm very interested in that subject because I believe that that specific it's kind of like a an area of psychology, but I think that it has a lot of impact on how uh, people behave in software engineering scenarios, or even how we behave as testers and when we have to look into the testing um, into the testing field. Um, so one of the, another thing that I'm putting together with a, a friend of mine, Mikhail Kutz, that we're forming a new um, a cognitive bias workshop for people to for for us to collectively with a group of people learn more about cognitive biases and what they mean to us. So these mm -hmm. are two areas where I'm I'm trying to, to learn more. Well, sounds really exciting. I really hope that uh, at least the talk we will be honored to <laughs> the quality talks one day. Uh, among the, all the others that we already had the pleasure to mm -hmm. sit together with you as well. So I think that that should be it for today. Guys, please don't forget uh, to suggest us uh, our next guest. Perhaps maybe you know somebody that you think that would be uh, awesome to invite or maybe you want just, you know, to step in and be invited. Uh, feel free to get in touch. You can leave in the comments or you can just uh, send an email or you can send a message in LinkedIn. We'll be waiting for new um, guests. And uh, also we still plan to launch the uh, old meetup format, although it will not be in person yet, but an online uh, meetup. So um, if you want to, to be a speaker uh, with us, please uh, let us know as well. And thank you, Joao. Uh, this thank was you. an amazing session. And uh, yeah, I think that you helped a lot of people. We had almost 30 people watching us throughout the, the stream. So it, it's oh. amazing. And I really hope that we have more uh, views than afterwards. Um, yeah, have a nice evening. And have a nice evening, everyone. Bye.